I'll do. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, it is time for the NFC Championship game. For the fourth time in five years, the 49ers are going to be playing in the NFC Championship game, and they're hoping to improve their record here in the Shanahan-Lynch era in these games to 2-2 two and two because they last won one in the 2019 season against the Packers. That was the last one at Levi's Stadium, though. Up until Sunday, 49ers-Lions, this is why the 49ers wanted the one seed so bad. They wanted, obviously, the bye week. They benefited from that. They, they seem very healthy right now. In fact, it, it seems that Devo Samuel is trending toward playing, and the injury list doesn't go beyond him. But they also wanted to make sure that they could host a potential NFC Championship game. Because last year, they didn't host it. They had to go to Philadelphia, and it was a complete catastrophe. Brock Purdy hurt, then the backup quarterback Josh Johnson hurt. Christian McCaffrey took a snap as QB in the second half. The 49ers never really had a chance after the first QB injury. Definitely didn't have one after the second QB injury. But this time, Matt, they are at home. Same formula as the one that worked to get to the Super Bowl in that 2019 season. And they're playing a Detroit Lions team that I think we'll talk about this more in depth. I see a lot of similarities between the Lions and, and the 49ers in that 2019 season as far as how Detroit has turned the corner in year three. But I, I also don't see similarities for the Lions with those 49ers in terms of them being favored in this game because the 49ers who are favored, the 49ers who I think are clearly the better team, and it's up to the 49ers to hold serve come Sunday. Yeah, for sure. And um, we should we should talk about some of the things that got them a little bit wobbly uh, against the Packers on Saturday, one of which was the weather. And um, I'm looking at the forecast right now, and it's uh, a high of uh, 72 and partly cloudy. So it doesn't look like that's going to be uh, any anywhere near the factor that it was on uh, on Saturday. And the other part was Debo Samuel. Um, that definitely got the 49ers off kilter. Um, no, no Debo Samuel for the easy layup throws for Brock Purdy. And then of course there was the, uh, the infamous Hezzy situation, uh, to begin the third quarter, which, uh, uh, ended up with Juwan Jennings in the backfield, taking a carry for minus one yard and really, you know, starting that, that third quarter off. Something the 49ers are really good at, um, you know, coming out, uh, when they get the ball first in the second half and, and doing something with it. Well, they, they had to, to punt on that uh, on that series, so um, th- those are two question marks, and and it looks like uh, Debo Samuel is trending toward playing. David, you saw him at today's practice. Um, we got to see him warm up with the quarterbacks. He was running routes on air, but boy, it, it was hard to tell that there was anything wrong with him. Yeah, I think that even after the game on Saturday, I briefly spoke with Debo and he said, I'm going to be fine. And, you know, he's, he's kind of terse when, when he's answering questions about injuries. Debo? Huh. Yeah, Debo. <laughs> kind of terse when answering questions at any time. But anyway, he, he seemed very unbothered in the locker room. And normally when somebody gets hurt, you don't really see them in the locker room. They, they get out of there or, or they're hiding somewhere in the back. And he was just kind of ambling around like it was the normal regular season win. And I briefly talked to him about, you know, how loud the crowd was. And he was all excited about how the 49ers had pulled it out. And he, um, he didn't, I didn't get the impression that, that he was 
fearing missing this game. And Kyle Shanahan's kept everything close to the vest this week as far as discussing the what, what the particular injury is. All we know is that there wasn't a fracture, but we don't know about tears or anything like that. But I can say that Debo Samuel, again, looked completely unbothered walking around the locker room this week. And then even though he didn't practice on Wednesday, he uh, jogged back out there. It was a little dramatic, right? He came later than everybody else, and they they, they played his song, Super Gremlin. That's the song the 49ers came out to in 2021 when they, they had the first really popularized the the boom box and um he it looked like i don't think the 49ers would have gone to those lengths if Debo samuel wasn't close to being ready to play and then charvarius ward i thought matt this was interesting too in the locker room he said during his interview that Debo samuel actually put on a blue non-contact jersey and participated in the team drills and you know why that's interesting because when we were out there we didn't see him with the blue non-contact jersey on the fact that he put one on later uh, means that that he was part of the actual rehearsal portion of 49ers practice. And you're not going to waste reps rehearsing Debo Samuel in practice unless you think he has a good chance of playing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, um, he, he's listed as limited on the practice participation report. We don't really know how limited, but the fact that that he was out there in the team situation and had the blue jersey on, you know, the signal to uh, defensive players that um, don't run into Debo, don't hit Debo in the shoulder, but um, that does uh, denote that he, it, it sounds like it was a, a pretty um, healthy portion of practice that he uh, he took part in. So uh, it seems like it's going to be a pain management issue for him. Um, and uh, you can bet that the, uh, uh, the Lions are going to sort of take that challenge and, and, and test that shoulder out. And um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big question because that, that's something that Debo Samuel uses and, and uses uh, very violently uh, throughout the course of a game. Um, if, if Debo Samuel's shoulder isn't 100%, can he really be Debo Samuel? So um, that'll, be, uh, that'll be something I'm sure the Lions are eager to, uh, to find out on Sunday. Um, the, the third factor that got them out of sync um, against the Packers was, you know, at least in my opinion, the rest. Um, they hadn't played a meaning, meaningful game in a, in a while, and I think uh, they were definitely out of sync, or at least they had a, a hard time finding a steady rhythm in that game. And that's sort of my question to you, David, is whether um, you know you feel like they finally found their groove by the end of the game and that that will carry over to the Lions game or whether that's something they're still searching for and could potentially be, um, you know, another hindrance to them in this game on Sunday. I think a much bigger part of it was the weather because what happened is then you wrote about the, the new grass and stuff before the game, but it wasn't just the wet football. There was a lot of slippage out on the field and that affected the defense. And we know how the 49ers rely on playing complimentary football when all three phases of the game started contributing to the struggles, uh, I, I think you know the wheels didn't fall off, but but it made the whole car run really roughly uh, during that game on Saturday. And then finally, everything kind of came together once they got the missed field goal there at the end. The first, the defense got the stop on third down. I think that's important to point out. Steve Wilkes dialed up a big blitz. It wasn't a zero blitz. I thought it was a zero blitz in in real time, but he actually bluffed with 
with well, one of his linebackers. I think he might have bluffed with Warner, but that that coaxed an incompletion from Jordan Love. Then we saw the missed field goal from Green Bay, and all of a sudden you have two pieces of your complementary formula firing again, right? The defense was firing. Special teams, they might have gotten lucky, but but the special teams won that rep on the field goal. That set the table for the offense to go in for the kill on the touchdown drive. So I think in on a dry track, the 49ers are clearly, clearly better than than Detroit. They 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 have the superior resume this year. They have a better offense. They have a better defense. Special teams of the 49ers is always a, a toss-up. So they just have to make sure that phase of the game doesn't screw it up. But there's a much lower chance of weird stuff happening on special teams if it is 70 degrees and sunny, at least to start the game before it gets dark later on. So I think that was the main issue last week. I do think that the wet football was a problem for both quarterbacks. That's why I was saying entering that game, you, you just got to suck it up and deal with it because this is going to affect both teams. And it ended up affecting Jordan Love just as much as it did Brock Purdy. I mean, Love, the, the, I mean, it's a brutal interception, uh, the first one. Both of them were terrible, but that first interception, uh, that was supposed to be an easy crosser, wide open receiver, and he threw it high and behind him, tipped it up in the air, and Dre Greenlaw got the pick, and it got the 49ers right back in the driver's seat. So it affected both teams, and the 49ers ended up coming out, out on top. I think that wet weather is a great equalizer. We've seen that throughout the years. This week, there is no great equalizer. The the, the two teams are going to be able to go mano a mano, and the 49ers are more rested, they're healthier, and they're just playing better than the Detroit Lions. So I think that they should have a, a significant edge. And uh, I don't need to explain this to people who are at the game, but uh, it was mostly dry um, right up until kickoff in, in Levi Stadium. So I wonder whether the timing of the precipitation had a had a big bearing on it in that all these guys warmed up, you know, were on the field when it was dry. And so they, you know, wore their cleats accordingly uh, to that. And then as soon as the game starts, the conditions change. And um, it did seem like the Packers handled it better than the 49ers did. And I know that um, there were a couple of slips by the Packers as well. But if we're, uh, if we're comparing slips, uh, I think the 49ers definitely had more and uh, more costly ones as well. Um, I forget what the yardage total was on the Charvarius Ward slip and the uh, Deshaun Gibson slip, but both ended up in big offensive plays. The Gibson one ended up in a touchdown. And uh, we're talking a big chunk of uh, Jordan Love's uh, passing yardage on those two alone. Um, let's get into some questions. Um, we got one from Joseph B. Good question. It's one that everybody's asking. Uh, what's the word on the other safety spot? After watching Logan Ryan play, I think it's our best interest to start uh, Jair Brown. Uh, David, how do you see that uh, uh, coming out on Sunday? I wouldn't be surprised if they went back to Jair Brown because I don't think that they benched Jair Brown for performance reasons in that uh, in that wild card game. I think that he he had been hurt at the end of the regular season, and because of that, it was going to be a very long layoff for him between the time missed due to injury and 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 obviously the bye week. And I don't think they wanted a rookie like him playing cold turkey in a playoff game. And Logan Ryan did not take a good angle on that long Aaron Jones run, the crack toss. The 49ers were having a lot of trouble with that particular play. So Logan Ryan didn't play great. I think he was the placeholder just because the 49ers wanted to 
higher veteran floor in there. But but by now, after Jair Brown's gotten two weeks of practices back under his belt ever since coming off of the knee sprain, I think that uh, the, the 49ers will be comfortable going back to their best option. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went back to the rookie here because, again, it wasn't your garden variety type of benching. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the cold turkey explanation is what Shanahan said, but uh, aren't you, isn't he an even colder turkey now? <laughs> well, you know, he's practiced now. He's had two Right, yeah, he, pra- he practiced in the run-up to the, the Packers game as well, but I guess it's more more practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's a kind of a, a go big or go home issue. Um, yeah, I think everybody understands that Jair Brown is the is the better athlete. He's probably the more impactful player. Um, you know, is he more apt to be out of position? Maybe, but that really hasn't happened a lot. Um, he hasn't been perfect since taking over for Talana Hufanga, but I can only remember one play where he either misread a coverage or was out of position. It was, uh, I forget the name of the, uh, the Cardinals tight end, but it was uh, a big play to him. And, uh, it seemed like, uh, Fred Warner was yelling at, at Brown on a, after after that reception, the the big plays that Brown has let up have been mostly been missed tackles, and it isn't as if he's been out of position or taken a bad angle. He just hasn't wrapped up. Uh, so, I mean, to me, that's um, I don't want to call that a minor adjustment, but the point is that he's in the right spot. He's coming at the right angles. He's aggressive. Um, he's going to be going up against a team that that absolutely is going to want to run the ball against the 49ers. I, I say bring, bring your, your biggest gun in for this game. It's the NFC Championship. I thought that they were playing a little careful by putting Logan Ryan in there. And it makes sense. Uh, after all, we'll talk, we're talking about the safety position. But um, I don't know. Uh, to me, Brown was playing almost like a veteran um, as, uh, as we got into December. And he uh, suffered that injury. So um, I, I agree. I think it will be him. Both guys have been practicing this week with, with the ones. So I don't think the decision has been made. Um, I think that they're really pushing Brown to show, to prove to, th- to them that uh, he deserves to be in the lineup. Yeah, and look what they did on the other side. They started John Feliciano over Spencer Burford. So they went veteran heavy for that first playoff game. And I think Feliciano definitely has earned that starter spot. He's, he's taken it from Spencer Burford. He, he was one of the top-graded guards run-blocking over the course of the regular season, and Feliciano played quite a bit since Week 10 because they, they needed fill-in work at either right guard or, or left guard, with Aaron Banks also hurt. So Feliciano had the key block on the winning touchdown from Christian McCaffrey. I think he makes the right side of that offensive line better so I think that they'll definitely stick with him and I think that on the defensive side they had the same strategy they were like okay let's go let's go with the veteran Logan Ryan but I don't think Logan Ryan played nearly as good of a game as as John Feliciano so it makes sense that that position would would be much more up for grabs you know zooming out though Matt that we talk about Tano Lufunga we're talking about the safety position uh this 49ers defense to me is a concern they uh, I ran the numbers this week Weeks 1 through 11, that's the up until Tano Hufanga got hurt in the fourth quarter of the Tampa Bay game. 49ers defense was ranked number five in expected points added per play. Since week 12, that's without Hufanga, defense is ranked number 22. 
from they've tumbled from five to twenty two, and now people were I, I tweeted it out, and everybody was up in arms, and they're like, oh, well, they played tougher teams since then. That's true, but look who remains as a potential opponent for the 49ers. There's the Lions, number five offense in the league. There's the Ravens, number, I think, three or four offense in the league. They're top five as well. And there's the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the number eight offense, but we know that they're probably going to be better than that if you face them in the Super Bowl because Mr. Mahomes is turning it up right now. So it doesn't matter that, you know, it's, it's completely, it's very relevant, but it's, necessary to know that they've played better teams and they've struggled more without Hufanga down the stretch because if they want to win a Super Bowl, they're going to have to beat one of these better offenses, one of these top five offenses. And what we've seen over the past few weeks from the 49ers defense has been shaky at best. Yeah, and uh, that's also re- reflected in the explosive plays allowed stat that b- both you and I have been following all season. At one point, they were the top team in the league as far as the fewest number of those allowed and that's been steadily creeping up um and um obviously there were several of those against the packers and um you know it's uh it, it was a bit baffling i mean to me the uh the the 53 yarder by um aaron jones was was obviously a huge play and they somehow got out of that scot free when the packers missed a field goal but um Gee, I mean, you you can add up all the players that messed up on that play. Logan Ryan was the biggest one. He w- literally whiffed on a tackle. But uh, Fred Warner overran the play. Uh, Warren Burks overran the play. Um, Nick Bosa had a shot coming down the line at uh, at Jones and then pulled up. Um, uh, Logan Ryan's momentum took him into Javon Kinlaw. It took Kinlaw out of the play. I mean, it was um, sort of like Keystone Cops there for a little while. And, you know, that was one play. There was a, you know, one where there was a bust. Um, there was the slippage. I mean, there were just a litany of errors that uh, you just don't expect to see from a team in the playoffs. And and that's why I think that the rest must have, um, you know, uh, disrupted them somehow because they just weren't playing um, sharp football. Uh, on the defensive side. Um, this, here's a question for you, David, that um, a, a lot of people have been asking this week. Uh, Matthew O. asked, did Shanahan talk about why the 49ers passed 39 times versus pounding the rock given the weather? Why Why didn't Shanahan run the ball more, do more ground and pound against the Packers? It always is going to be dictated by what the defense is. And the Packers were bringing down the extra safety and showing the 49ers fronts to try to stop the run. So, I, you know, I always kind of chuckle at those questions because if the 49ers would have run, a lot of those runs would have gone for one, two yards at most, and people would have gotten mad that they're running into a brick wall up front. So, I mean, the, the 49ers' decision regarding whether to run or pass is always fairly simple. Just look at the defensive alignment. Look at what the safeties are doing. The 49ers always are going to go to what gives them a numbers advantage. And in this game, the the pass game gave them that numbers advantage. Now, they didn't execute for three and a half quarters consistently in that pass game. But you saw several opportunities for big plays. And you actually did see before the uh, before that final drive, you did see some big plays converted, including the the touchdown to George Kittle where Purdy rolled out and, and hit Kittle 30-plus yards down the field on, on the run. So, 
the the run pass balance thing is is simply a function of what the 49ers are seeing defensively. They're always going to opt for the look that gives them leverage, which is why they have turned into the number one offense in the league this year because Brock Purdy is doing a great job determining whether to run or pass the line of scrimmage. He has he has the power to to, to check out of stuff depending on what the defense shows, but um, he he also has this adaptable cadre of weapons that make it really difficult for the defense to properly sit on run or pass, right? Because somebody like Debo Samuel, for example, is both a uh, pass uh, is is both a receiving threat and a, a power running threat. So. 49ers can mess with defensive personnel packages in that way, but I, I don't think it's I don't think it's something where you could just like count the amount of pass attempts and be like he didn't run enough. It's it's a little bit more complex and based on play by play looks than that. Uh, Andy P asks, "Do you guys think that Ambry Thomas's poor performance was mainly because of his hand fracture that he's not?" hundred percent. And, um, yeah, we should note that he's playing with a, a cast on his right hand. And, uh, I can only imagine that, um, you know, that that's, uh, that's affecting him somewhat, um, to his credit and to Steve Wilkes's credit, no one's used that as an excuse for how he played in the game. But, um, David, have you heard anything about how the hand has affected Ambry and whether that played a role in, uh, in Saturday's game? I haven't heard anything directly from Ambry, but I do remember when Jimmy Ward was out there with a club on his hand. Remember against the Chiefs last year when he came back? Uh, it, everybody played a bad game in, in that one, but Ward wasn't good. And I, you just, it's one of those things where people can say, oh, yeah, you just put a club on your hand or a cast on your hand and go play. Uh, it, you, you're running out there in a full contact sport, guys flying around, you're, you're throwing your arm out there. There definitely has to be some type of mental impediment that goes with it, right? You're you're not fully healthy, and you, you do have extra protection on on a vulnerable part of your body on your hands. So I don't know if that was you know something behind Ambry Thomas's performance. He, the first pi looked like if if he wouldn't have grabbed on the receiver, that could have been a touchdown. And the really bad one was the second one because. Remember the 49ers had the Packers botch. They pitched it backwards and they lost, what, nearly 20 yards. And Green Bay still picked up the first down. And one thing the 49ers can't not have right now is they cannot morph back into their 2021. The Packers set an NFL record in a bad way in 2021 uh, as, as far as how much pass interference yardage they gave up. They gave up almost 400 pass interference yards that season. And it led this team to sign Charvarius Ward. They, they said over that offseason, they're like, okay, well, we can't win with this. We got toasted by the Rams in the fourth quarter of the NFC Championship game. Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup. We, we, we needed to bring in a real corner to start solidifying this. And they fixed the issue since then, right? They Ward, Diomedo Lenore, both playing well. But but then you know it crept back on them here because they, they don't quite have that powerful third cornerback situation that they thought they, they did when they signed Isaiah Oliver, who hasn't really been a, enough of a scheme fit as far as the ability to uh, change direction and cover some of these small, smaller slot receivers. So they badly need Ambry Thomas or Samuel Womack or whoever, you know, Darrell Luter Jr., but I know that Ambry Thomas is the favored candidate right now. They badly need him to deliver replacement-level football so that opponents can't just bail themselves out with pass interference penalties whenever it's third and long. 
You mentioned uh, Isaiah Oliver. Um, what are the chances that Isaiah Oliver is back in the lineup against the Lions, a team that, that likes to run the ball, a team that likes to uh, yep. you know, put Sam Laporta in, uh, throw the ball to Sam Laporta, use, uses Sam Laporta <laughs> the way that the 49ers use uh, George Kittle. Um, and, uh, you know, for all his faults, uh, Isaiah Oliver is a good tackler and um, is bigger than uh, D'Amador Lenore, who goes into the slot when Ambry Thomas comes in. Um, you know, uh, obviously that would be a sort of cat and mouse game with the Lions. The Lions could counter with uh, sending in a smaller lineup to go after uh, Isaiah Oliver there. But do you think that Ambry Thomas's performance on Saturday was bad enough that the 49ers sort of change course a little bit and go with a different uh, three-cornerback combination? Well, I wonder if the fact that Sam Laporta is the second most targeted receiver for Detroit, he's a tight end, rookie tight end out of Iowa, I wonder if that does allow the 49ers to think more about using Isaiah Oliver because that what was their big rationale early in the season. Even after they decided to scrap the pure nickelback plans, we, we heard Steve Wilkes talking about a hybridized defense where Isaiah Oliver would be able to cover some of the the tight ends who split out wide. And remember the week three game against the New York Giants who had Darren Waller? Isaiah Oliver played a great game there, and he actually helped shut down Darren Waller on that, on that Thursday night game. So uh, I don't know if that ship has already sailed and the 49ers have just committed to doing things a different way over the course of a long season. But if there ever were a time where you have an opposing number two wide out that's more like a, a tight end, which I think is the case in, in this scenario because Sam Laporta is targeted so heavily and they do line him up in the slot. I think that if there ever were a case to use a bigger nickelback uh, in that matchup, it, it would be against the Lions. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just looking at the size, the, the, the height, weight, and, and the speed here, Matt, and I think that it could work. But I just don't know where the 49ers exactly are with Isaiah Oliver because it does seem like he's been out of favor in that defensive rotation for a while. Yeah. Um, although, you know, as, as you know, Steve Wilkes has said in the past that, um, you know, th- that combination or having two nickelbacks allows them to um, use those guys depending on the uh, the opponent. And uh, if the opponent is a tight end, you would think that Oliver would be out there. Um, you know, one, uh, you know, a, a lot of people I think are um, looking ahead to how the 49ers plan to address cornerback in the future and it's hard to see oliver unless he changes positions or or does something uh coming back next season given i think he's gonna what count almost four million against the cap um it's hard to see him coming back next year so uh the question is who would be who would challenge ambry thomas for that number three role next year and it seems like this team is really, really positive on on Luter, um, you know, a guy that barely played in the offseason, and yet they brought him back off of IR, um, gave him a chance, and, um, you know, he was in uniform on Saturday instead of Samuel Womack, which, which suge- suggests that, I know this is probably more special teams related than anything else, but um, I thought that that was telling. He was the one rookie who wasn't uh, sort of uh, unplugged for this game against the Packers. And uh, I think the 49ers are really hopeful about him. He's sort of tall and long like Charvarius Ward. He's been 
really studying Ward this whole time. He's uh, uh, really well liked by the coaching staff because he's uh, he's very mature, um, goes about his business the right way, studies, does all the things right. The only thing we haven't seen him do really is uh, is play cornerback uh, in the NFL. So um, obviously this is a a next off season question, but it seems like they're very very eager to kind of see what he can do and. I think he's a, a definite possibility to be the, the number three guy next year. Yeah, and who knows? If you're up for one of these games and the injuries happen at the, the right or I guess I should say the wrong places, then all of a sudden somebody like that can be pressed into action. So that's why it's so important to keep track of who's active and who's not. And if they choose Darrell Luter Jr. over Samuel Womack again, then Luter's going to be that emergency DB that the 49ers might have to turn to in the NFC championship game. So keep an eye, keep an eye out for that. I do know that they haven't seen anything from Darrell Luter Jr. on defense yet, at least outside of garbage time, but they have seen something from him on special teams. Remember the Thanksgiving game against Seattle when he made that touchdown saving tackle on the kick return. He came from Cleared the other side of the field. I mean, it, that was a hell of a play from Darrell Luter Jr. We saw those long strides at work. You saw something like that, and you say, "Oh wow, he he has he has the burst, he has the speed to make it in this league." That now you have to have a whole lot more to make it in this league, but that is a prerequisite, right? You have to be athletic enough, and he definitely is. So, you know, another player we're talking about rookies right now who's been active and who I think is a is a, is a nice special teams weapon, but maybe even he'll have a chance to do some more. Is Robert Beal Jr., the really speedy edge rusher out of Georgia? They they made the decision a few weeks ago that this is a guy that they're going to ride with this year. They activated him from injured reserve. He had shown him enough in practice. I always stand over there in the D line corner on Thursdays because uh, they're pounding the sleds right in that corner. That's always the highlight of practice for me. And so I, I get to listen in on Chris Kasarek and and Daryl Tapp yelling at all the guys. And for weeks uh, after uh, Robert Beal Jr. had been activated, I couldn't help but notice that he was getting a lot of praise from Chris Kacerik. Kacerik was hap- re- always really happy with how he was getting off the ball, which for him, he's a pure speed guy. That's that's the key, right? And then the 49ers put their money where their mouth was by by activating him. So, um, you know, it's he's he, he, one of those guys that uh, I would – we could talk about next year, but these rosters aren't that big, Matt. So it's important to know the depth coming in because you never know when an injury catastrophe is going to hit. Yeah, we should note that you know the 49ers don't have a lot of defensive linemen signed for next year. Uh, Chase Young isn't signed. Uh, Randy Gregory is under contract, but the 49ers have an out in that contract, and they'll, they'll probably use it. Um, Cleveland Farrell isn't signed. So among DNs, it's Bosa, Drake Jackson, who um, you know didn't didn't show a lot in his second season, and uh, Robert Beal. So uh, I think Beal is very much in the in the mix for the future, and uh, and certainly could be if there's uh, any issues uh, in the next one or two uh, games coming up here. While, while we're talking about um, edge and defensive ends, Michael W has a question. He says. Uh, any chance of Eric Armstead moving to the edge on base downs? Edge seems shaky with Chase. Um, I don't think so, only because that means that all of a sudden 
you've traded one problem for another. You've, you've, you've taken away your best run-stopping defensive tackle and moved him to the edge. Uh, so I don't think that happens, but um, it's a good question because that's, uh, that's something that Eric Armstead ha- has done in his career. Um, he'd be very good at it. Uh, but, um, but, but it, it seems like you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul with that, uh, maneuver. I agree. And listen, Eric Armstead is still dealing with a foot issue. Plantar fasciitis doesn't just go away overnight. They, they're, they've been specifically targeting this three game stretch last week, this week, and then, and then the Super Bowl for, for weeks for his return. And, and that's how they treated the rehab. And then He's probably going to have to rest that foot more and do more stuff in the offseason because this was an issue that's now popped up in, in two straight seasons. So, I mean, the guy is already working overtime just to get back out onto the field. The last thing you're going to do is ask him to start playing a different position, one that he hasn't played since early in 2021. Chris Kasarek loves Eric Armstead's interior rush. I, I was talking to Kasarek last night working on working on a piece actually it's coming out tomorrow morning on Armstead and and Javon Kinlaw and the 49ers love those two guys pushing the pocket from the middle Kinlaw's playing good football now might have been his best career game he's he's really started to come along for the 49ers so they're not going to mess with that the the, you know especially Armstead against the run on the interior is really important because uh, Javon Hargrave is a really good pass rusher but his weakness is against the run so like you said Rob Peter, Rob Peter to pay Paul. That's exactly what that would be. The bottom line is that Chase Young and Nick Bosa have to do a better job on the edge, and they have to be better supported by the back end. I thought it was really interesting today that Steve Wilkes said that it wasn't much of a problem with our edge defenders. It was more from the second level on some of those crack tosses, and we already talked about the Logan Ryan missed tackle and all that. So uh, the the 49ers need to just be better as a whole, defensively against the run. The numbers aren't pretty this year. They range anywhere between number 15 and number 26 run defense, depending on which advanced metric you look at. But if there ever were a time to figure things out and and grind, grit your teeth and get the job done in a one-game scenario, it's right now because this is a top-five run offense. Detroit will bite your kneecap off if you're not careful. And Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery are two very different types of backs that, you know, with Gibbs, he's he's a rocket, and David Montgomery is a 225-pound bell cow. These guys can create a whole lot of problems with their versatility. They can score from any point of the field. Uh, the 49ers, Matt, need to, to make sure that they step up the run defense through any means possible this weekend. And if they don't, I, I think that they could lose control of game flow very quickly. They could get a, a big assist from the offense, something that they didn't get against Green Bay as well. I mean, it's part of their formula that the offense races out to a big lead and then the opponent just basically abandons the run in the second half. That would be ideal for the 49ers. But, um, you know, that's that's another thing. You, you made note of that, the, the complimentary football that just wasn't happening, at least not happening to what we're used to with the 49ers against the Packers. So. Um, it's going to take a lot to discourage the the Lions from running the football, uh, but um, that uh, that would be. I mean, a- anyone who sees uh, you know uh, an easy win, um, it's going to be because the offense scores quickly, scores early, 
um, gets a big lead on the Lions and then makes the Lions one-dimensional and really kind of takes away that running game. Um, one question about the 49ers running game. This is one I've seen a lot this week as well from Andrew P. Why doesn't Kyle use Mitchell more to tenderize opposing defenses before serving up a popping, uh, a piping hot CMC? Sorry, I, uh, I stepped all over your, uh, your wordplay, Andrew. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Why, uh, why no, um, Elijah Mitchell in this game, Mitchell played one snap. It was the, uh, the final kneel down and, um, only one snap for the third running back as well. Why, uh, why give, uh, the lion's share to, uh, CMC? Well, cause he's one of the greatest players to ever suit it up. I mean, well, why, why would you take off one of the greatest players to ever play in the league <laughs> for, for somebody worse that, that doesn't, you know, like there, the, the, you put the backup in if the, if your starter is tired or if you want to protect him from, from overuse or something like that. But there's been no point at this season where Christian McCaffrey has shown signs of, of running out of gas. So on any given play, you're going to want your best option out there. If, if that's, uh, and if that option is available and that's Christian McCaffrey, you're going to put him out there. See the, the thing about Christian McCaffrey is, it's not like there's a better power runner on the team than him. He is the best power runner on the team. I mean, he, he you could count on one hand how many times this year he's ended up on his back. He's usually the one doing the, the tackling in, in these situations. He's putting defenders on their back. There obviously isn't a more elusive runner on the team. And uh, Mitchell might have a little bit more straight line speed, but I, I doubt it. I, I mean, McCaffrey, and then the burst from McCaffrey is is definitely better than Mitchell. So, and then obviously he's a much much better receiver. So you compromise the offense by removing somebody who's one of the greatest receiving rushing threats we've ever seen play football. You'd compromise the offense by putting in anybody else. So if Christian's ready to go, you put him out there. Uh, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about rest and how that might have affected the Forty ers I mean, the one guy who did not seem affected at all, or rather was affected in a very positive way, was McCaffrey. I mean, I thought he was uh, one of the three best players on the field on, on Saturday. He was like a, uh, a champagne cork. I mean, he was just ready to go in that game. Um, he's going to be ready to go in, the, in this next one. Um, uh, I, you know, what, what's the over-under on uh, Elijah Mitchell? snaps in this game i mean is it is it five uh because uh i i think uh we're, we're going into territory where it's uh cmc or or bust i mean uh it's going to take a lot to get him off the field moving forward um unless unless debo samuel's only some kind of decoy or something or if he re-aggravates his injury and they decide that they need to use christian mccaffrey and more of a a passing role and, and, and they, and they need somebody else to take some of the backfield snaps. That That's the situation where I think you see a little bit more Elijah Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's a, a legitimate thing? I mean, that that's something that um, Shanahan has said uh, in the past that those guys are interchangeable. They're similar in a lot of ways, but can you really see McCaffrey sort of being a, uh, a wide receiver, a Debo Samuel type wide receiver and having Mitchell, line up as the uh as the christian mccaffrey in the backfield hey i've seen crazier things with alignments i've seen Jawan jennings take a handoff <laughs> <laughs> uh but that, yeah, that wasn't intentional that was a mistake but yeah 
Um, no, I, I, I can see it. And, you know, creativity in this regard is what got the 49ers out of a bind in 2021. That's when Debo Samuel moved, not full-time, but close to full-time to to the backfield, right? And I know that this would be a move in the other direction, but they weren't afraid to, to make that move in 2021 when they ran out of running backs. And um, I, if, if they need that spacing threat on the outside that, that Debo Samuel can give the 49ers and he's hurt and he's not in the game. And I don't think they would hesitate to do it. He's just Shanahan's going to do what he feels makes the offense most efficient given the particular matchup. And well, let me say something about the matchup here with Detroit, Matt. They don't have very good corners. A 140 rating into his coverage and Cam Sutton, the veteran corner on the other side, something like 122 into his coverage. They've given up a lot of yards over the past few weeks. Detroit has. They've got a nickelback, a rookie, Brian. He's definitely the best in coverage out of those out of those corners. But the outside corners haven't been good, and Detroit runs a lot of zone. They've been number one against the run, probably because they run a lot of zone. They're 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 well positioned against the run. Anyway, I think the pass game is going to be critical in this game. The 49ers do need to take advantage of that advantage that they have on paper. Yeah, I mean, um, if, if there's no Debo, I remember that uh, that Rams game last year. It was right after Christian McCaffrey got here and the 49ers hadn't traded Jeff Wilson yet. And they lined those two guys up in the backfield, um, you know, on a few plays. And they, they all, all those plays were effective. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, sort of a new weapon and, uh, a new alignment, but once they traded, uh, Jeff Wilson, the 49ers really haven't used a, a two tailback backfield, but, um, boy, it, it's in, it's in the playbook. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you want to catch somebody off guard, this would be the time to do it. I, I don't think that happens. I think we both think that Debo Samuel is going to play. Um, I guess it's a question on how much he plays and whether he can, kind of withstand the pounding of a of a playoff game and uh you know that you, you bring up the 2021 season he was a marked man in green bay and then in in la and uh the defenses went after him hard and he had to come out of the game a few times uh in both of those games and uh to his credit he was able to power through and, and finish up but um you know he's a uh, he's a magnet um good and bad so um, he's going to get hit and hit hard if he plays in this game. So uh, that's uh, that's something to watch and kind of keep your eye on his snap count, how much he comes off the field, whether he's able to kind of throw his weight around like he he normally does. Because um, uh, you don't want to uh, you know have Debo Samuel out for a long period uh, if you if you think you're going to go to the Super Bowl. That's very true. Um, the the one the one saving grace here for the 49ers is if he, if he is if they're just bluffing and he's not going to play, which I highly highly doubt. But I think that the fact they had to adapt on the fly last week is something that was really troublesome for them. And I think right now, whatever the plan is, they're getting the plan it right now. Now that being said, somebody else can get hurt, and then then you're dealing with uh, another wrench in, in your plans, and that's what makes. So what makes games like this so nerve-wracking because they're do-or-die games and often you are going to be at the whim of a bad break or bad injury. I mean, the 49ers know that better than anybody. They lost Brock Purdy in the NFC Championship game 
last season. So the the key for them is to go out and execute, uh, get the necessary luck that 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 is that that is I think a prerequisite to to winning a title. Sometimes you don't have the luck. Sometimes you do. That's why even the greatest some of the greatest teams of all time have not finished their season with with Super Bowl wins because they didn't have the things break in their favor at the at the right time. But the 49ers will hope with their advantages over the Lions, the dry track, the good weather on Sunday, the home field advantage. I think that's a big thing, Matt, by the way, the home field advantage. The 49ers will hope with all those things lining up in their favor, they'll come out on top and they'll be headed to the Super Bowl. But speaking of that home field advantage, did you notice today Kyle Shanahan went out of his way? It seemed like a fairly innocuous question uh, there about the crowd at the end, and and but he he took it as a chance to stump for for more crowd support. He he was he was banging the podium there for it. He wanted Levi Stadium to be as loud as possible because the 49ers really do feel that that the silent count that Green Bay had to go to uh, on on Saturday was a big part of their win. Yeah, I wonder whether we have any information about uh, how many tickets have been sold to uh, Detroit uh, area. Uh, uh, I, I, I saw eighteen percent, eighteen. No, that's that's higher than I thought it would be. Uh, but yeah. I, I guess when you can cash in <laughs> pretty heavily, uh, you you take that uh, you take that chance. Yeah. So I I, I don't think that eighteen percent can be all that loud. I think you probably have to have thirty to forty forty ers you know to to really start to get into the territory of bothering the opposing offense. So I think the 49ers will have that advantage there, but that is a sizable contingent. I'm not saying that it's a small amount, but so we'll see some blue in the stands, but the 49ers should have enough of a majority in the crowd uh, to get that place roaring. And I, I don't know about you, but, but to me, that was the loudest I'd ever heard Levi's. And I asked like several players in the locker room today, especially guys who had been around for a few years and they all agreed with me. So 49ers believe that they're settling into their home here. It's the 10th year of Levi Stadium. They, they just extended the na- na- uh, naming rights, by the way, to like 2043 or some some crazy long days. <laughs> <laughs> Levi's paid $170 more million for that. But anyway, the 49ers feel that they're settling in to, to the new stadium, and they feel that that they have a, a, a real home field advantage with that crowd noise now. So we'll see on Sunday. All right, well, let's get to our predictions here. I mean, um, have, you, have you thought about it? Do you have a... Uh... A final score prediction? Yeah, I have. Um, I, I think the forty. I, I don't see the Lions holding the Forty ers under thirty on on the dry track. I really don't. Um, I think the Forty ers would have scored thirty plus last weekend in in better conditions. I think they will this time. And to me, it just comes down to this: it, Jared Goff has been a top five efficiency quarterback when he hasn't been pressured, but when he has been pressured. He drops down to like number twenty-eight in EPA per drop back. Like it's it's the most drastic drop off of any quarterback in the league, and that's that was the story of Jared Goff against the 49ers with the Rams. He, anytime you'd pressure him, he'd he'd melt, and uh, it appears that that hasn't changed in Detroit. He might be a little bit better at times. I think he threw some nice passes in Week One when I watched him beat the Chiefs. But in general, the book on Jared Goff is slow down that run game for Detroit. And pressure him, and then and then you're going to be able to to win as a defense. Now, the, stopping the run for the 49ers is no no gimme. They're they're the number 26 run defense. Detroit's the number six run offense. So that that's in Detroit's favor. But I do think that the 49ers have some championship pedigree. They've been here before. 
The Lions haven't. And if there's a team that's going to play above its ranking in, in any in any category, a unit or a team that's going to out, outperform its, its statistics, I think it's the 49ers run defense in this game. That happens. And I, I just go back to my base belief that Jared Goff is not coming into Levi Stadium and winning a road NFC championship game against a better 49ers team. I just don't see that happening. So I think the Lions will score 24. I think the 49ers will score 34. 34-24, 49ers headed to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think mine was uh, 30 to 23. So we're, we're very similar on the score. I mean, to me, I, I think that the 49ers made this tremendous investment, this tremendous push to get that number one seed, to get the rest, uh, to get the advantage on the rest of the conference. And they succeeded. And it was almost as if that worked against them um, versus the Packers. And, um, you know, the my assumption or my bet um my uh my conjecture is that it's going to pay off that investment starts to pay dividends in this game um that uh they use the uh the packers game to get back on track that was when you know the the lawnmower was coughing and sputtering and, and belching out black smoke and now it's uh it's humming like it's supposed to so um, if that's the case, then yeah, what what a what a tremendous advantage that is. Uh, Packers, I mean, the uh, Lions are are sort of beat up. I mean, a, a bunch of offensive linemen haven't practiced in full this week. This, that, and the other. The Forty ers are, aside from Debo Samuel, as as healthy as they've been in a while and and rested. Uh, so, I mean, um, th- that was their calculus this season. They have to make it pay off but uh it certainly makes sense that it happens in this game so i'm going uh 30 to 23 49ers that is a hell of a prediction it should be a fun afternoon at levi's on sunday it will start in the sunshine it will end in darkness kind of like the rose bowl you know fans from the state of michigan get the, at least the 18 percent of the crowd that's coming out from michigan it seems like uh, they get two rose bowl experiences this year they get to come out to the they, they came out on New Year's Day for the Michigan win over Alabama. Congratulations to Jim Harbaugh, who's now back in the NFL, by the way. He's, he's in L.A. He, he just decided to stay in Southern California. Um, just kidding. They had to win the national championship in Houston. But, um, but now, now these fans, there's obviously a ton of crossover between Michigan and Detroit Lions fans. Now that they get to play another sunny game in California that starts in the sunshine and ends in the darkness, and that is the NFC Championship 49ers and the Lions. So Matt and I both think that the 49ers will win. We'll see if we're right on Sunday. Do you have any other thoughts, Matt? No, that's it. Um, thank you for uh, joining in and listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. We'll see everybody next week.